Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Thanks, uh, Josh. This is one of my favorite times of the, uh, of the service, when the kids leave. I mean, seriously, not because I don't like having them around, but because you get to watch them make their way out, and uh, quite often I'm at the back uh, when this happens, and I get to see all of their, their uh, little shiny faces uh, heading out up to their, you might need that. I, I might reference that today. So as Josh mentioned, this is part three of a six-part uh, series that we're doing on the subject of discipleship, how you help me follow Jesus. We're considering six vital principles uh, of discipleship. Uh, first, that discipleship happens personally. If it's not personal, it's not happening. It's the nature of discipleship to be personal. And there are profound ramifications when we think about how we can help each other follow uh, Jesus. We uh, need to get personally involved in people's lives and allow people to get personally involved in ours. Secondly, discipleship happens in community. It's highly relational. And that means it doesn't all come back on just me or on you alone personally. And when we understand that uh, and what it means to be a part of a church family, discipleship starts to look very different. Uh, Somebody recently said from this platform, and I honestly don't remember who it was. It could have been you, Josh, or it could have been Steve last Sunday. I don't know. Somebody said, uh, and maybe they were quoting somebody else when they said this, but uh, all of us together make one good Christian. Is that, or did I dream that? Somebody, anybody hear that said recently? Okay, all right. Somebody, I was, somebody somewhere said something like that. All of us together make one good Christian. I, I like it. I thought, I, when, I, when I heard it, I thought, yeah, that's true. <laughs> because of all of our faults and failures and deficiencies and our limitations, right? Um, so this week's discipleship principle is this. Discipleship happens incrementally. That is to say, it is a process and it doesn't happen suddenly or quickly, but over a period of time. Now, why would that be important and why is that an important thing for us to understand and to realize? Well, there's a lot of reasons probably, but here's a big one. We are not very patient. Discipleship, by nature, is incremental. But we are not, by nature, patient. We like it when things happen quickly and easily. Can I get an amen to that? Quick and easy. That's how we like it. And this desire that we have for things to happen quickly and easily affects every area of our lives Big 
or small. Even the tiniest of things, like washing your hands. You're supposed to sing happy birthday when you wash your hands, right? So that you spend enough time washing your hands to adequately wash your hands. Um, How many of you use bar soap at home? Put your hand up if you use bar soap. And how, and how many of you have one of those pumper things that you just go squirt, squirt, squirt and wash your hands? Yeah, more of you. So, how many of you don't wash your hands? Because there were some hands that didn't go up. Maybe you're using some different kind of soap. I don't know. But, <laughs> but the thing about bar soap is that, you know what I mean by bar soap? Those of you who didn't put your hand up, um, bars of soap, you know, uh, the old-fashioned way to wash your hands. Uh, the thing about bars of soap is that the more you use them, uh, the smaller and thinner they get. So there is less surface, uh, which means it takes more time and effort to work up a good lather. So over time, if you use bar soap, uh, washing your hands gets more tedious as the cake gets smaller and thinner. Now, I would like to know how many of you actually use the whole entire cake of soap or how many of you get tired of, of it when it gets about this big and this... And I know at our place, I, I discovered this just not too long ago, we have a, a container filled with these little thin bars of soap. They can't, you can't call them bars anymore. I don't know what to call them when they get that small. But, but you know, we, we lose our patience really, really, really easy. You know, there's a, there's a million things that we could talk about this morning to illustrate this point. There really is, because it affects every area of our lives. We could talk about uh, your driving habits, or my driving habits. No, let's talk about your driving habits. Um, <laughs> we could talk about the lineup at the boat uh, restaurant last Sunday, because I hear there were a few temper tantrums thrown there. Um, or we could talk about technology. You know what technology is? Sound from the past, right? What is that sound? What is it? Yeah. Dial up, dial up. But we don't hear that sound anymore. Do you know why? Because now we have high-speed internet. But that's not fast enough either, right? Now you have to have 5G. Do you know what 5G stands for? Put up your hand if you know what 5G stands for. That's what I thought. Aaron, you're the only one. Fifth generation. Fifth generation technology. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the standard uh, technology standard for broadband cellular networks. So, you know, it used to be that with high speed, it still takes a, a second. But you know how the old saying, you know, hey, you got a second? Or can you hold on a second? Or can you wait just a second? Well, the answer is no. (laughs) Because we 
can't wait a second. We need 5G technology. Well, actually, I'm sure it won't stop there because I don't think we'll be satisfied until we have instant connection. Um, and as stupendous as that seems, I, I understand it. I understand why that is, because I am by nature not a patient person. And I have discovered, in spite of all these things, that it's even easier to be patient with the internet or with things than it is to be patient with people. But here's the thing this morning as we talk about this discipleship, how you help me follow him. If we are going to be disciples for Jesus, making disciples for Jesus, we are going to have to have commitment and patience. We're going to have to be in it for the long haul and we're going to have to be able to uh, forego our expectations for immediate results. Back in 2015, uh, the Verge Network posted an article on their website written by Logan Gentry, and the article is entitled, The Only Way to Make Disciples. And that got my attention. I'm sure that's the idea, right? And so I, when I saw it, I clicked on the link, and in seconds, I was staring at this article the only way to make disciples by Logan Gentry. And the first thing I noticed was that the article began with one single word. What do you think that word might be? Logan Gentry, the only way to make disciples. Well, let me read the first paragraph for you. Uh, it won't take long. It's only short, so be patient. <laughs> Logan Gentry, the only way to make disciples, patiently, period. It's also the only way to make a community, multiply a community, plant new communities in a healthy way, but it's also not the American way, obviously an American author, Nor, but we could say the same thing, couldn't we? nor is it the, the American church way. We want to treat discipleship like it functions on a factory assembly line, having people line up at the front, add specific theology, life, and behavior along the way, and come out the other end as a perfect equipped disciple. That's a program for education and not a process for discipleship. And the last line of his first paragraph, he says, if we want to be missional, or beyond mission, that is, we must become patient in the messy process called discipleship. He uses the phrase messy process. I don't know about you, but when Josh was speaking a few weeks back on discipleship being uh, personal or happening personally, uh, messy was one of the first words that came to my mind. How you help me follow him. I'm thinking about how personal and how relational 
this has to be and how the whole notion of getting involved in people's lives or allowing people to get involved in our lives and even respecting those important and legitimate personal boundaries, it's still messy. Someone has described the church as a blessed mess. It's messy because it involves us. It's blessed because it involves him. Uh, It involves my faults and my failures, my shortcomings, my inadequacies, my limitations. But it's blessed because that's where God shows up. God shows up in the mess of our lives. God shows up in the in the shortcomings of our lives. Because remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. I appreciated what Josh uh, Carter shared earlier there at the beginning of the service. Discipleship is a process It's incremental because God is working in the problem areas of my life and it's not a quick fix. If we want a quick fix, we're going to have to look elsewhere because God, we, you know, we want God to do a fix, but God uh, wants us to learn to wait on him. And that's something we're going to be talking about in the time remaining. By the way, uh, one of the prominent Greek words for patience in the New Testament is a compound word made up of two words. One word is long, and the other, other word is suffering. Long suffering. If you grew up on the King James Version of the Bible, you'd be aware of this. But for those of us who are younger, uh, you might not be aware of that. Long-suffering. Think about that. So this is one of those topics where there are any number of biblical passages we could go to because the principle we're talking about is taught throughout Scripture. But we are going to go to Philippians chapter 1, and if you want to turn there uh, with me, Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read the uh, first 11 verses and uh, make, make a few observations. And we will be putting the uh, text of the scripture on the, on the screen as well, if you'd rather read off of the screen. But it is good for you to have your own copy of scripture, whether that's digital or whether it's hard copy, my preference. But either way, uh, let's read uh, Philippians chapter one. I'll read you, uh, read with me and listen uh, as well. Philippians chapter one, uh, but maybe let's just pause just for a moment and pray together. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word today. And as we approach uh, your word with these thoughts in mind, uh, we recognize our need uh, to hear from you and have you be our teacher today, that you would use your word and that your spirit would take your word and apply your word to our hearts to teach us. Lord, we would be most grateful and we thank you for your presence here and your power at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter one and verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That partnership is that word koinonia that Josh talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, that sharing together uh, that we have. Uh, Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn uh, for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Now there's something we need to make sure that's clear right at the front of this this, uh, consideration of this passage, and that is this, that the very moment, the instant that a person responds to the gospel of Jesus, to trust in him, he or she at that very instant receives the forgiveness of all their sin, all our sin, and the gift of eternal life. At that very instant, you become a child of God with a forever identity. That is not a process. That is something that God does, and only God can do this. But this is something that God does in an instant. It takes no time. It's immediate. And uh, I love the words of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 24, and we're going to project that verse uh, this morning. At least I hope we are. Yeah, there it is right there. Don't you love that? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The instant that you trust Christ as Savior and Lord, the one who died and gave his life uh, to pay the price for your sin, the instant you trust him, you become a child of God with a forever new identity. And nothing can change that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Josh mentioned that passage in Ephesians where Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, You don't grieve things, you grieve persons. So we know the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, the the person of the Godhead. Um, The Holy Spirit, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit 
by whom you are sealed, by whom, not by what, by whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. The moment we receive Christ, we are completely forgiven in that very moment of time, that instant, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And the change that we see in our lives from that point on is a work of the Spirit of God in us. So the moment or the instant that you receive Christ or receive the Spirit of Christ, that is a new beginning for you. Philippians chapter one, verse six, he who began a good work in you. Every process needs a starting point. Now it's helpful to see evangelism as part of the overall process of what making disciples uh, is because God works, God works through us when we share with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, God works in us and through us. But the person becoming like Jesus begins with, with spiritual regeneration. Regeneration means re, uh, to, li- to live again, new life. Uh, what we call sometimes, uh, have called conversion. It's an old word. We don't use it that much anymore, but, but it's, it's, it's valid. Remember Nicodemus, John chapter three. We looked at his story back early in the winter, you know, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was a grown man, mature man, leader in Israel, and he looked him right in the eye and said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, what? How is that even possible? And Jesus went on to explain that it's not possible unless the Spirit of God is involved. And when the Spirit of God is involved, it's not only possible, you can count on it, and it will happen in a moment of time. I've had uh, people say to me, I just, I've had, I've, more than once in my life, I've had people, Christians say to me, I just want to get to the place where I love God completely and entirely, where I'm holding absolutely nothing back and I'm, 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 just, I'm, just, I'm just completely and entirely in love with God and I have nothing in my life that's not entirely uh, handed over to him and under his control. And I always try to make it a point to tell people when they say that to me that, you know, that's really good that you want that and we should want that, but it's really important for us to realize that while trusting Christ as your Savior and becoming a Christian happens in a moment of time, the process that the Bible calls sanctification, which is us becoming like Jesus, takes place over the course of a lifetime. There is no complete sanctification this side of heaven. It doesn't exist. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you've never, you've never considered the, the, the claims of Christ upon your life and his, his love for you that was so profound that he was willing to give his life for you and to take your place and suffer and die for your sins 
and rise again from the, the dead to be your, your, your living savior. If you've, never, if you've never had a point in time in your life where you have given it over and said, Lord, I, I trust you. Please, please save me. Please give me eternal life. Please forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me new. Make me yours. You need to do that. Because any hope of you becoming like Jesus will be contingent upon that. That's a, something that happens in a moment of time, but, but becoming like Jesus, following after Jesus, that is the process of a lifetime. Philippians chapter one, verse six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? What's the text say? At the day of Jesus Christ. You might be wondering, well, when, when, <laughs> when's this construction project called me, going to be complete? And the answer biblically is, well, it isn't going to happen this side of heaven. Not unless the Lord returns before you go there. So when you see him, whether that is when he comes or when you go, that's when he'll be finished working on you. So God's saving work begins in us the moment we receive him, but our following him into his plan and purpose for our lives are becoming more and more like him. That is a process of a lifetime. Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11. Let's go there. The last uh, three verses that we read earlier. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That's personal growth is what that is. Uh, with knowledge and all discernment. We don't have all discernment, but we are heading that way. Hopefully, we're getting wiser as we go. That's the idea. We grow so that you may approve, verse 10, what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to think a little bit, just a little bit briefly here about the love that he talks here about. Uh, he says uh, that your love may abound more and more. Lo uh, love is, a, is a, uh, what Jesus said in John 13, uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. That's where we get our core value of community from John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. But in that section of scripture where Paul, uh, who wrote uh, the book we're reading, Philippians chapter one here, Paul, uh, in, the, in the one place in scripture where love is described in any kind of comprehensive way, the first thing he says about love, do you know what it is? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. It's the first thing he mentions. We grow in love. We grow in knowledge. We grow in discernment. We grow in righteousness. Now, if you read through the scriptures, uh, and hopefully you are reading through the scriptures, uh, you should be astounded by the number of times that... Um, our personal development is spoken of in organic terms. Even the word growth is an organic 
term, right? I'm thinking of places like Psalm 1, blessed is the man, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. I'm thinking of the parable of the sower where Jesus talks about the sower going out to sow and the seed is the word of God and how it brings forth the increase in people's lives. I'm thinking of places like John 15 where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's God's work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, one man sows or plants, another man can water, but it's God that gives the increase because only God can make things grow. You want to be more like Jesus? He's going to take Jesus to do that in you. You don't have it in you to become more like Jesus apart from him working in your life. It's God that works in us to grow us. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is where plants and people have something in common. Hopefully, it's the only spot where plants and people have something in common. We both grow, and growth is incremental. Now, sometimes we might have growth spurts, you know, that's cool. I'm all for growth spurts. But generally speaking, normatively, it's a slow, steady process. Uh, We're in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 2, and you don't need to turn there, but in Philippians 2, Paul says this. He says, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Life change takes time. We don't like that. God works in our lives over time, but we like immediate results. Now, I want to look at one more scripture um, that's uh, Paul writing to Timothy, okay? So, Paul, Philippians chapter 1, he says, Paul and Timothy. Well, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. Now, I want you to, to look at this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we'll look at verse 12, and then we'll jump down to verse 15. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was a younger guy, at least compared to, to uh to Paul he was, and compared to uh, most, many of you he was. Um, but he, Paul says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Pretty good list. Then in verse 15, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your what? Progress. That little phrase at the end is very significant, isn't it? And allow me this morning to point out, uh, point this out so that we don't miss it. If we are not real and transparent with people about our shortcomings, our faults, our failures, our sins, then how will anybody be able to see our progress? I bring it up because that's what uh, making disciples uh, involves. It involves sharing with people what God is doing in your life. That's how we help each other. As I share how God works in my life, you, you can learn how God could work in your life and vice versa. When you share what God's doing in your life, it encourages me to think about what God can do in my life. That's what we're talking about here. That's why it's, it's personal and it's communal. I 
Well, we don't like those testimonies. We, we like the, you know, let me tell you about the victories that God has done in my life. We don't like to share when we're in the valleys, Josh Carter, right? We say, let me, let me get through this, get to the other side of this, and then I'll tell you about it. That's what we like. You know, I, I, I think we're quite taken with those stories too where God does some amazing thing in someone's life. And, you know, and, so, and sometimes God just does something in a moment of time, you know, in your life. And, he, he, and I, I know that God does that. It's just not that that's not the normal way that he works. But we, we're taken with those stories where somebody will say, you know, uh, I, I had this, this vice in my life and I, and I prayed and God just took it from me. Just like that. And I had no more desire to practice that vice ever again. That's a wonderful testimony. And I'm not saying we shouldn't share those testimonies when that happens. All I'm saying is that's not norm. It happens, but that's not what normally happens. And the reason I bring it up is because you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, that would be nice. Wonder why God didn't do that in my life because I've been praying for God to take this from me for, for years. I'm still battling it. I'm still struggling with it. And it's ongoing. It's an ongoing battle and a struggle in my life. But God is using that struggle. God is using that struggle. Discipleship is a process. It's incremental. So we are going to have to be committed and we're going to have to be patient. And we're going to have to be patient with others and we're going to have to be patient with ourselves. That's not easy. And we're going to have to be patient with God. Now that might sound a little odd to you, because God is, as I mentioned earlier, the only person who can get instant results when he wants them. You know, he can simply speak the word. The centurion, last Sunday, right? Just, just say the word and my servant will be healed. I mean, we're not talking milliseconds. We're talking instant. But he doesn't choose to do that most of the time. Why? Why? Have you, ever asked, have you ever asked that question? Why, God, am I still battling this? I believe the answer is because God wants us to learn to wait on him. I mentioned references to the organic nature of life, agricultural metaphors. But there are other uh, metaphors in scripture and other sorts of imagery that's used over and over again. Construction is one, building. The Greek word okodomeo means, literally means house building, but it's the word that's translated build up in your New Testament. Sometimes in the older versions it was, it was translated equip, or uh, sorry, edify. Edify, to build up. Uh, but that, you know, how long does it take to build something? It's not instantaneous. Rome wasn't built in a day. And, and then there's the, uh, the journey motif. We like that one because that's our motto, share the journey. Right? And that's prevalent throughout Scripture as well, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So ingrained is this idea of journey in uh, and life being a journey in the theology of the Bible that our living is referred to in the Bible as our walk, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
where we're told to walk with the Lord and that God uh, you know, calls us to that. We're talking here about discipleship and we're talking about following Jesus. Well, that's a, a, a journey metaphor, right? How you help me follow him. We need to walk with God. We need to walk with people. And that's no quick fix. So how are you doing? Are you still patient? Are you patiently listening? We could talk about attention spans. Another reason we need to talk about this is because we think of process. We hear the word process, and we tend to think linear. We think a process is a straight line. Uh, Probably three steps forward, two steps back would be more accurately descriptive of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to help others follow Jesus. Greg Ogden wrote a book called Transforming Discipleship. And on page 79, he says, at the outset, don't you just love it when somebody says at the outset on page 79 of the book? But anyways, he says, at the outset, he must have been a preacher right? this, I think he was. At the outset, we must acknowledge that there is no clear step-by-step formula outlined in the Gospels. Attempts have been made to fit the Gospel content into distinct spheres uh, or distinct uh, phases, sorry, distinct phases as if Jesus were operating out of a sequential leadership development model. Though I will describe a developmental process through uh, which the disciple progressed, the disciples progressed, the stages were overlapping and repetitive. Repetitive. Gee, that's another word we don't like. Repetitive. But repetition is a great teacher. And a disciple is a learner. That's what the word disciple means. And learning takes time, right? What are you learning? We could talk about love. We just parked there for a short uh, bit a minute ago. We could talk about discernment. The passage we read talks about love and it talks about discernment and these are things we're growing in and there's lots of other things we're growing in. But I want to finish this morning by focusing our attention on one, this one thing that, that, that we are, are, are learning, hopefully, and that is learning to wait on God. This is also a prominent, prominent expression in Scripture. Some of your favorite passages have that phrase in them. I'm thinking of Isaiah, is it 41? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a phrase that probably we, we don't talk about as much as maybe Christians in bygone days did. Because, and I think that, that, that probably the reason for that is because we're not as 
much interested in patience as those who have gone before us. Perhaps we confuse speed with efficiency. But whatever the case, we do need to learn what it means to wait on God. It obviously doesn't mean that we don't walk or that we don't move. We shouldn't confuse waiting on God for uh, passivity. We are to be actively waiting on God because it's God's work. I don't think we should miss that. Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it. New life starts with the work of God in me and it continues with God working in me. The grace by which you are saved is the same grace you need every day of your life. People have this strange, weird idea that, you know, you become a Christian and then you turn around and you start preaching grace to everybody else because you don't need it anymore. What a bizarre idea. I need Jesus just as much today as I did 40 years ago. And I need his grace just as much today as I did 40 years ago. God works in us. It's his work. And we need to learn to wait on him. But don't confuse waiting on God for passivity. What does waiting on God look like in the Bible? It looks like mounting up with wings as eagles. Running and not growing weary. Walking and not faint. Staying the course. Holding the line. Running the race. Fighting the fight. Because faith in scripture, or trusting God, if you will, is an active thing, not a passive thing. And if you haven't noticed this yet, when you've been reading scripture, let me point out to you that the words patience and perseverance overlap in scripture. They often occur together, and the concepts actually overlap each other. And we need to be careful with these things. Some unknown person very wisely said, don't confuse God's patience with his approval. Paul, for his part, says this in Philippians chapter 3. And I am close to finishing here. What time is it? Yeah, it's just about that time. Patience. (laughs) Philippians chapter 3. And I know for some of you it's just like it's a lot, right? Like I've said a lot already. We've covered a lot already. Might not seem that way to some of you, but we've really talked about a lot already. But listen to what he says. I'll just read it to you. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already attained. This same book. Philippians chapter 1 we read. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect. Because I'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see the connection there? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of you who are mature think this way. It might be helpful this morning uh, to think about uh, next steps. I do like the journey imagery in Scripture, and I love... I love our motto, uh, share the journey. 
is, there's, there's so much in that. But it might be helpful for you um, to think about next steps because God works in us as we step out in faith. It, it might seem like a paradox, and maybe it is. But God works in us when we step out in faith. And so it might be helpful for, for us all here this morning to think about what God's next steps for me might be. God, what's my, what's my next step? What, what should I be, be doing in, the days, in these days? Um, next growth step. Um, uh, Josh mentioned baptism. Uh, the baptism coming up. Maybe that. Maybe maybe you have accepted Jesus Christ and you've never, but you've never been publicly baptized. That's what baptism is about. It's about going public in, with your faith. And there are uh, a number of these that explain what baptism is and why a person should be baptized and who should be baptized. They're on the credenza in the lobby if you want to pick one of those up. But that's coming up in like what is that? Five five weeks time, I think. That's coming quick. And, uh, or maybe you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, but maybe you will between now and June 20-something, and then you need to pick one of these up and have a read through, okay? Um, next steps. What's your next step? Maybe it's not baptism, but maybe you know somebody else that should be baptized and you can encourage them in it. Or maybe it's, it's not, a, not that, maybe something else, but what is the next step? Um, don't confuse... Patience for giving up. Why don't you uh, stand with me this morning as we try to pull this uh, plane onto the back down onto the runway here and land this uh, flight? Don't confuse patience with giving up. Some of you may have given up. We're going to close the service today in prayer as we normally do, but I want to be very intentional about this today because prayer may be the most indicative aspect of what it means to wait on God that there is. Think about it. Wouldn't it be great? (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if all I had to do was say, God, please do this. And God just did it. Now, there are times, but those times are pretty rare, I have to tell you. More often than not, We labor in prayer. We battle in prayer. We struggle through. The old people called it praying through. We aren't so good at that because we lack patience. Prayer. This is where we all become very convicted because probably none of us, I don't want to assume, but I'm, I'm thinking most of us are not very, feeling very confident in our prayer lives. Don't confuse patience with giving up. Some of you may have given up. You've resigned yourself. Oh, well. But that's not what 
biblical patience is because biblical patience grows in an active faith. So here's what I want for us to do at this time as we close. I want you to get a particular person in your mind right now. Someone you know that you would like God to do some really great work in their life. Now that person could be you because some of us maybe, maybe that's who we should be praying for today. Maybe, maybe we, God has shown us what the next step is and maybe we're not sure we're going to take it. Like, you know, ba- think about baptism. It's a very public, <laughs> public profession of faith. It's a big deal. And maybe you should be baptized, but you're not, you're thinking, I'm not ready because I'm not ready to take that step because I'm not ready to go public with my faith. Then maybe you should pray and ask God to give you the courage and do that work in your heart where you would be willing, where he would work and you would say, I want to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's something else, but maybe you have a next step that you need to take and you maybe need to pray for yourself this morning, but maybe there's somebody else. Maybe God has given you a burden for someone that you know and maybe you love them or maybe maybe you don't. Maybe it's somebody that you can't stand. I don't know. But you, God, because God gives that kind of burden too, right? To pray for somebody that you would like to punch. Praying that God will work and that he'll use you. not giving up, not resigning yourself, but persevering in, in faith on their behalf. And then be ready to act because God loves to use us to answer our own prayers when we learn what it means to wait on him and what it doesn't mean to wait on him. That's enough. I think that's enough. I think we'll stop right there and pray. Are you ready to pray? So you're standing here in the assembly of God's people, and I want just we're just going to take just a few seconds to pray quietly in our space, and then I would just like to lead you in prayer as we close. You have that person in mind? Whether it's you, someone you love, Someone you hate, (laughs) pray for them. Don't give up. Don't resign. Lord, we, we wait on you. Help us, Lord. Teach us what it means to wait on you. Teach us how you want to work in our lives little by little. Over time. God, I am such an impatient person. I get impatient with my impatience. But Lord, you 
are God who loves perfectly and love is patient. Lord, you are long-suffering with us. Your word says that, that you're long-suffering, not, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to you in repentance and faith. Lord, please teach us what it means to wait on you. And thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in our lives. God, we pray that you would not only work in us, but that you would work through us and the lives of others. But, oh, God, please, that we might not give up. That we might see what it means for you to work and why the struggle is important, why the journey matters, not just the finished product that we so liked to see. Help us, Lord, with these things, and we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.